1: On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Stay tuned to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening. Now, on to my guest for today, Christopher Fox. Founder of Synchronous, a communications strategy firm. Chris earned a PhD in French literature, but after two years teaching, he realized it wasn't for him. He took his research and communication skills and put them to work into digital communications and strategy, eventually founding his own firm. He's evolved his focus to fintech and particularly to work with thought leaders in this niche finding that his passion and skills for analyzing the complexity of French literature translates well into peeling back the layers of the complex discourse of fintech. One key factor in getting to really understand a concept, Chris explains, is to understand its context. Chris's main objective when working with clients is to help them connect with or rediscover their why. This not only connects them to their passion, It helps them shape their story for the external world and for their target audience. For his clients and for his own business, Chris focuses more on crafting the message and getting it in front of the right people than on trying to game SEO or algorithms. Tune in also to find out what French books Chris recommends, as well as has insights into why it's easier for people to actually understand credit cards than Bitcoin. Now, let's get better together. Christopher Fox, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you. It's really, really great to be on. Thank, I really appreciate you having me on today.
1: Well, I appreciate you uh, coming on. I think we met through Matchmaker.fm, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think that might be right. Yeah, I love, I love what James is doing over there at Matchmaker. It's a uh, huge. Benefit to everyone, podcaster and guest, because it's hard to find quality guests like yourself.
2: Well, yeah, I appreciate it. Hope hope to uh, prove out that that quality in the course (laughs) of the conversation.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the you you've got a, a really interesting background and doing some really cool stuff in kind of fintech thought leadership, which we will get to in a second, but. Before we get to that, I would love to hear how you got to do what you're doing today.
2: Yeah, so uh, it's a a great question. So what what I'm doing today is I focus on thought leadership strategy and content development exclusively within the world of, of fintech and financial innovators. And I point that out as the current state because it has absolutely nothing to do and no apparent resemblance. To the starting point, I started off my career as an academic. I was teaching French literature at the university level. I'd gotten my doctorate in French and uh, kind of got myself to a point within the academic world after two years of realizing this is not for me. This is not what I need to be doing. This is uh, more or less unrewarding and unsatisfying professional environment to work in and I want to do something different. This was really at the early stages of the dot-com boom. So I realized that I could transition the the skills that I had in terms of teaching and research and communication and bring those into the world of um, digital and and internet consulting. So I, I worked in That area for several years and moved moved around from between a couple of companies, uh, ultimately, you know, coming up the ranks and becoming a director of user experience and content at a small internet consultancy. And I ultimately realized, well, you know, what why do I need to do this for a firm when I have a very strong specialized point of view and a strong set of skills and expertise that I could bring to the market? And I decided to Take that entrepreneurial leap, and I've founded Syncrasis, my company, in 2007. Uh, It started off as kind of a generalist company, you know, focused on digital communications, communication strategy, uh, content marketing for a range of industries. Over time, I realized that my business would only get better, and that my delivery would only get more focused as I really, really narrowed down to a specific industry. So it became you know, broadly the, the world of finance, and then even more specifically to that over the past uh, four or five years where I've been in this world of financial innovators, whether those be large global banks that have an internal innovation unit and they're they're doing innovative things uh, out there in the financial markets, or, um, you know, more on the technology side, the, the fintechs that are out are developing products and developing services that are you know, disrupting what's happening or or innovating and moving things forward in terms of the the way that people are able to conduct transactions and exchange value.
1: Hmm. Wow. French literature to the internet. (laughs) Yeah. French (laughs) literature, internet, fintech. I think that's probably the most eclectic path. I can't remember anyone with more of an eclectic path than that, but it's so interesting that, I mean, what what got you into French literature to begin with? I mean, I mean, especially getting a PhD in it, which, you know, that's difficult and challenging to do.
2: Yeah. The answer to that question is actually on the path to why these things in a very unexpected way end up tying together, which is, you know i've i've always been really fascinated by uh, complex structures and i've always been really fascinated by trying to figure out how to interpret something that is you know on, on the surface fairly difficult to get a, a handle on and during my undergraduate life i you know i found that the the seminars on on french literature were so much more interesting than some of the other subject matters that I was exploring in college, and I decided to major in that. And, you know, you you really get to wrestle with such a complex matrix of issues, whether it's the, you know, the formal qualities of the literary work itself, the broader cultural and philosophical context, political context, historical content in which that work sits. There's so many layers and so many dimensions to it that, I really, really got engaged in the intellectual challenge of juggling all of those complex issues. Uh, the way that it connects to fintech, it's kind of kind of a long set of leaps. But but ultimately, you know, every time I work with a new client that's doing something you know exceptionally complex in the world of invest, investment management or wealth tech or um, AI tools that support. Regulatory and compliance functions, or uh, you know, crypto, or any any of these tools, you're really mastering a whole new language and a whole new discourse every single time. FinTech sounds like it's one thing, but when you really look at it, a FinTech is this collection of thousands and thousands of very complex niches inside the unbelievably complex animal of the global financial system, and that's where, in, in a kind of strange, unusual way there is this uh, analogy between the type of work that i initially entered the the professional world doing in terms of you know research and analysis around literary texts to what i do today
1: yeah it's interesting and cuz yeah i mean you know the french language in general i mean I've been to France a bunch of times and trying to speak French, I would just get laughed at (laughs) (laughs) because I, you know, I barely speak English at times. Uh, But I've always been fascinated with just the French culture in terms of the way it shows up in literature and the way, like, I love French movies because they're sort of dark and they kind of almost always end badly. And I'm like, Oh, this is like life, right? I, I don't know what it is that draws me to these things. It's just so it's a gritty and visceral yet beauty. You know, I, I, it's hard to, maybe it's just the movies I see, but I mean, I'm just curious and what would be like a really good book of French literature that people should read to sort of get a grasp of how the complexities of this or some one that just sort of kind of shows kind of a showcase of how, what you're talking about kind of interweaves because I agree with you. I mean, language in fintech is, I mean, you you have to look no further than like the regulatory stuff <laughs> to know that. That's right. My guess is you got to like unpack like what does that word mean. I mean, it's like a it's like a puzzle almost.
2: No, it's 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 really true. And you know, as I interact with you know founders of smaller companies or uh, you know senior Leadership within larger banks. One of the things they all str- struggle with is that a lot of times the, the marketers aren't very good at speaking their language, and vice versa. And they need someone who can sit in between them and be that interpreter, speak fluently to marketers to understand what it really takes to to get visibility, to generate leads, to pull people through the funnel. But then can turn around to uh, that. Person who you know has an operational role or a product development role or something like that, and also speak to them in their language to understand you know the, the real nuance of what they're building. So there, there's kind of that that translator element. But you know, to go back to your question of a of a work of, on French literature, so would you say that that you're looking for something somewhat accessible, or you know what I really think is that, you know the 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 juiciest and meatiest thing to take on.
1: I would say let, let's get one of one of each, just because knowing what I know about a little, I mean, I don't know much, but uh, you sort of got to warm up with this stuff. I think it's sort of, you know, what would you warm up with? And then what would you say? Like, oh, yeah, this is this is the one to look to
3: read.
2: Yeah. So to to take it down even a little bit deeper, my my specialty was uh, 19th century French novel. So that, that's already going to influence uh, what I say. I would say in terms of uh, accessibility, you know a great starter piece would be uh, pr- pretty much any of the novels by either Balzac or Zola. Uh, both of those authors, you know the, the, the novels themselves are relatively accessible. They're plotted out in a you know pretty traditional way. You can get through them. you know some of them get a little bit long, but you, but you can really take them on. And uh, I I would say, you know, with Balzac, you could even go for uh, some of his shorter fiction. So I'd say really anything by those two authors uh, would be a great starting point. And if you really, really want to challenge yourself, and you you can certainly read it in translation as well, there's there's some good translations out there, would be uh, Marcel Proust's Remembrance of Things Past. It is a big, big monster to take on. It's, uh, you know, I think it's... I think it works out to be like thirty five hundred pages. It's in multiple volumes, wow. and you go through it. But, but if you really, really want to see uh, the the subtle inner workings of you know what I think is is a uniquely French approach to literature and and all of these different dimensions that I've been talking about, how it intersects with you know with with aesthetics and philosophy and uh, current events and politics and all these different things, that's the place to go. And you know there there are people who. Spend years with that book. That you know, they read it once, they get so hooked, they go back into it again and again and again. It's it's one of those lifetime novels. Wow. And yeah,
1: so interesting. And I guess I'm,
2: the other the other one I'd mention. and kind of sits in between those. Would be uh, Flaubert. So you know, people I think are familiar with Madame Bovary, or you've heard the yep. name. In any case, I mean that's that's a great one. Uh, has another one would be Sentimental Education. Sentimental Education is a great. Example of exactly the types of things that I'm talking about,
1: yeah, yeah, wow, well, thank you for that. well, I mean, what's interesting about like the word entrepreneur um, comes from the French <laughs> that's, true, yeah, and uh used to mean undertaker or funeral director, <laughs> <laughs> so uh we undertake a business, right that's so, right, yeah, uh, I think um was it pre pre Prendre means to take or to undertake. I, oh, yeah, yeah. Right. I completely butcher it, but I, so so many of our words that we use, of course, in English, come from French and Italian and German and all this and Dutch as well. But I just always find that interesting that the you know what we do, being an entrepreneur, rooted in you know the back in France, <laughs> you know, which is so interesting because it's such a weird word. I have a hard time even pronouncing it sometimes. And more importantly, have a hard time spelling it even though, right. I, even, well, even though I wrote the book, I still misspelled entrepreneur. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and what's interesting, you know, and uh, again, I appreciate that on the literature front. I mean, I, I love to read and I also think reading literature, novels, fiction and nonfiction as an entrepreneur, as someone who's creative, opens your mind to the possibilities of, I think, one of the most important things that's lacking in the entrepreneur community. It's something I'm passionate about, and I know it's something you're passionate about. It's how to tell the story about what you do. And through great literature, we can learn how to tell better stories. And I think what you're trying to do with, you know, these fintech thought leaders and it, it's it's super important for a lot of different reasons, which I, I want to get into. But the, one of the most important reasons it's important is communication is at the art or the center of our art as entrepreneurs. That's right. If we could only do one thing, it would be communicate what the heck we're doing. And so I'm curious, how do you pull, I don't know if they're kicking and screaming, but I'm just going to use the kicking and screaming analogy. How do you pull these? CEOs, techie people that are in, I mean, deep, deep, deep dive into fintech. I mean, you know, like down so far down the rabbit hole that literally they use three letter acronyms, four letter acronyms that are literally like, who knows what the heck they mean? How how do you kind of, what's your process to go through them? Because, you know, I I think it's so fascinating that, you know, the analysis of French literature (laughs) Popped you into telling better stories about fintech.
2: Yeah, I mean, and, and you're really right too. You know, when a, an entrepreneur gets in and gets deep into what they're doing, that uh, there are a few things that happen. As you were suggesting, first is that they often get lost in their own private language or or the private language of a very small niche in the market. You know, everything that's going on right now with this this, this explosion. Of chatter around non fungible tokens is is a great example of something that is this incredibly private and arcane, and you call it cryptic, if you will, language that people get very good at speaking to themselves and speaking within that community. And it's very, very difficult to cross the line, get through that membrane of the bubble that they're in into the broader market of how people make investments, make purchases. Um, otherwise participate in in the global financial system. So that's one piece of it. And also, you know, as as a founder, I think you end up just getting really deep into the mechanics of doing your business, right? You've got to go out there and you've got to find investors. You have to ultimately have to build some kind of product. You have to get it out there into the marketplace. All of those challenges are, I don't want to say they're incredibly distracting, but, but they are incredibly focusing and they distract you and that's why i was using that word from the idea of oh right we actually have to communicate this outwards as well and and the way that i connect with entrepreneurs who are you know deep in the trance of creating a product and creating a company is uh, i take them back through their why you know every product is ultimately this this is my view of the world every product is an idea about change. If you turn it inside out, it's not a bundle of features and functionality. It's an idea about change in the world. And that's why an entrepreneur will stand behind it. They're not building these things because they're bored or they have nothing better to do. Deep down there, there is an idea about how some little aspect, in in the case of FinTech, some little aspect of the way that, that people exchange value in the global financial system could be better. And what I do in working with my clients is I get really, really deep into that why. You know, why are you doing this? Why is that better? Why does that matter? And there are a couple of benefits to it. One is that it starts to bring all of those messages and stories to the surface so that they become more nimble in communicating it outside of their own bubbles. And then the other is there's there's a kind of an unrelated benefit to the work that I do, but I find you know my clients really, really value it is that it reconnects in them to their passion because you know often as as an entrepreneur, as a founder, you're solving a lot of really messy and unpleasant problems on a day-to-day basis. And to have that little space where you can go back into the absolute, you know, the the, the highest level of your why and the passion that you have around the topic, it's, it's a real activator for thought leadership and and the same thing, vice versa, getting, getting close to your, your positioning and your messaging as a thought leader is an activator or reactivator of that passion that that's got you out there sweating and spending so much of your time trying to build this thing in the first place.
1: Yeah, it's so true. It's So true. I I mean, I mean, I tell this to people all the time. I mean, you hear it in this podcast all the time. I talk about your why it's the journey really. It's the fame, fortune, and prestige. They're all fleeting. You're going to get people that aren't going to like you. You're going to get people that just don't get it. There's going to be so many challenges and struggles along the way that if you really focused on that outer journey, the, you know, the, the trappings of success, so to speak, when the going gets tough and all those things go away, you're literally left sitting there with who you are and why you're doing it. And it is interesting that you mentioned, you know, your why and reconnecting back to sort of the the bigger focus or the big idea or, hey, you know, all this toil and trouble for for what we think is going to be a revolutionary thing and to help, you know, people. Transact better because I mean the global financial. I'm going to call it a monster because it's a monster. And in anyone that's ever looked at any of this or studied any of this, it is super complex. It's com- some of it is completely unfair. It mm-hmm. is driven by the more money you have, you get, you end up getting more money. Those at the bottom of the pyramid have got a harder time. The people that really need the money hardly ever get the money you know it's it's a huge ballast to overcome so to speak to to get these new thoughts this you know bitcoin and crypto and you know nfts i'm glad you brought that up cuz i still don't understand what those things really are i'm like oh man it's another it's yet another thing and they don't do a good job of explaining it i mean someone asked me the other day what's bitcoin and i'm all oh man you know i should know the answer to that um, and i don't think yeah, I don't think there's, again, this is a general problem for all entrepreneurs. And this is a reason why I wanted to talk with you about this, because your unique perspective on it is a valuable lesson for anyone in any industry, not just fintech, but any entrepreneur that wants to have his company have the potential for success. And so broadly, other than the why... And the deep dive into that, what, uh, what other parts of the process allow you to transform? And I'm saying, I think transforms the word because it really is a transformation when, when people get their story straight and they can tell it quickly and they feel it. People feel that like there's a, there's this hidden thing among humans. I don't know what it is, but when we hear a good story and we hear like someone speaking truth, for whatever reason, we just get attracted to it, and so I'm curious what, what's after the the kind of the why process. How how do you go about doing the rest of it?
2: Yeah, no that's that, that's a that's a great question. So you know af- after the why process, and you really going through the the deep, deeply introspective early stages of this journey. You know, the next thing is is exactly that. It's, it's translating that into uh, the specificity of. Uh, knowing that the seeing yourself as an agent of change and then knowing in a very, very clear and crisp way what that change is and what it means in the world. That gives you the ability to distill that down into a set of clear and crisp messages. And those messages in turn can be, you know, some people think story first and then the message comes after kind of like like an Aesops fable and some people think messages first and they plan things top down and then they plug in the, the stories there. And oddly enough some of those those French authors that we were talking about earlier or they're they're taking that top down approach where they have this this big idea about the world and then they're writing um multiple novels in order to illustrate different facets of that idea. But you know, regardless that you, you know you were asking about the kind of the the transformation process. It's from the why to what that why means in the world and then um being able to get to this point of of seeing the the messages and the stories that support and communicate that why so because if you want that change to happen it can't just happen in you know in your room in your office wherever you're you're working it has to happen in the world
1: yeah yeah it has to be like a meme
2: yeah and it and it has to be you know in order to do that you you have to learn how to translate your private language into a public language.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean I always say you got to be able to explain it to your grandmother and a lot of people have a hard time with that because Yeah, and, you know
2: there's another element of it too which is you know you you mentioned that you know it's really hard to explain what what bitcoin is. Why is that when it's not really hard to explain what a credit card is or a credit card transaction and I'll tell you once once you really dig beneath the surface that is so much more complicated yeah. than a token that's registered on the blockchain it's yeah. it's so much more complicated but no one has the slightest problem understanding it because they understand it at the level that's meaningful for them which is oh cool I just got my groceries or whatever it else is, I just ordered this book on Amazon, or whatever I did. All the stuff that happens underneath the surface there is more complex than I would say, you know, 99.9 plus percent of the population really understands. Yet it still works and it still matters to them that they're able to buy something without having to have cash in hand.
1: Yeah, I really like that point about make it meaningful for them. I think that is absolutely lost on most people. It's really a question of, okay, so when you communicate, this is what you said, say something, right? Mm -hmm. But you also have to understand, okay, what do people hear? And I love, I love what, what you said about, and why does it, what makes it meaningful for them? So the credit card one's a great example. Everyone uses a credit card. So, at some point, even if it was complex, they do know the most basic thing. I don't have to carry cash. I tap my card, I get my groceries right Amazon one click the technology behind all that and thus could be super complicated, but it's pretty easy. Oh, I like something, I hit click <laughs> you right. Know? right and 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 I think with Bitcoin and the blockchain and crypto and all this other stuff, I don't think enough people use it yet for it to have that kind of Mem or meme type of, uh, repeatability or making it meaningful to them. I mean, I know like now you can buy a Tesla with Bitcoin as an example. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well now people are like, well, what is this? Like, Oh, I can buy a car with it. Interesting. Like, you know, back in the day, I think it was five, six years ago, someone bought a pizza with Bitcoin, Right. But it's in that pizza is now worth, I don't know, hundred million dollars. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> <Right. laughs> yeah, yeah, some crazy thing. Right. Um, how, how, How is it more difficult when it's not like a common thing? Like, you know, crypto right now is not a common thing. Some fintech stuff, not very common. Is it a lot harder for that message to get through and to to kind of, and I always think about it like either crossing the chasm or jumping the gap or, you know, Mm -hmm. making it go viral or, you know, building the meme, you know, like it seems that there is a bit of a barrier when it's not as common as, you know, everyone knows like what a podcast is or when back in the day, no one did, but it's sort of becoming main. How do you make that transition from niche to then thought leader in niche and then thought leader in the mainstream?
2: Yeah. uh, You know, that's a really interesting question to me because you know, in, in all of these different scenarios, if, if you compare the, you know, the, the, the scenarios that seem to be easier to understand, like a, like a podcast or a credit card, they've already found their analog or they grew out of their analog. But, and what I mean by that is, you know, pretty much everyone had already experienced a radio show or a talk show on TV, and they had experienced the internet it kind of like the podcast was was an easy one to to do because the use cases preexisted it, and similar with credit card you know prior to that, there was cash, and prior to that there were you know you start thinking like well what's what's the long history of how a transaction could happen, you know versus just two people trading one thing for another yeah. and putting gold as an intermediary between it, and then you know actual coinage. Uh of that uh precious metal, and then translating that to paper money and then translating that to plastic money, and then having it be digital, there's this sort of natural evolution, and the use cases precede the innovation. Bitcoin's kind of a different animal because the the use cases don't quite precede the innovation and and people are kind of bouncing around trying to figure out well you know does that mean? Is it a store of value? Is it an asset to invest in? Is it, you know, just another currency but different? It's I, that I don't think has been resolved, and you know, it, it may ultimately not resolve itself in the form of Bitcoin. It may be some future iteration of, um, you know, a, a cryptocurrency or or a digital asset as as people try to figure out what to do with it.
1: Yeah, it's almost like a technology looking for a problem to solve, almost. Yeah, in some ways. I mean, I think AI is like that too. You know, I have a lot of buddies that are doing AI type stuff. And everyone wants to be an AI. Everyone, I don't know if most people even really understand what it is. And uh, I read this one tweet the other day. It was pretty funny. This guy's like, I think I've got more AI in my name than most companies have in their whole portfolio. And you happen to have the letters AI in his name, obviously. So, you know, being a bit sarcastic that way, but I wonder, I mean, I, and also that's a really interesting way, how you kind of went through the process of exchange, which I think is a very valuable thing. You know, we used to barter and we had coinage Then we had paper money, you know, now we have electronic transfer, you know, you buy something, you can wire money. Now we've got different platforms like Venmo and all these other things where we can kind of exchange between, you know, we can give money to each other without going through a quote unquote bank or a, I mean, it's an intermediary, but not in the sense of like a bank. And then I think, you know, Bitcoin is probably the, the most direct transaction you know direct digital transaction where you don't need it's a you know decentralized you don't need anyone to be the intermediary and 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 then right. no one's really like i don't think anyone's quite figured out well why is that important <laughs> you know really does anyone really care i think people will care and you can see that in its value and its fluctuation and then you can see of course all the other technologies and stuff like you know all the like the the platforms to do investment as an example, like Robin hood and, you know, the whole GameStop <laughs> fiasco right, right. And stuff like that, where it's like this, you, you can sort of see the little bit of the inner workings of the financial system and how rigged it, it is. It can be, I mean, you know, it's not totally rigged, but boy, when a bunch of, <laughs> a bunch of folks on Reddit can manipulate one stock <laughs> and keep on doing it, Eh, something's not right in the world, and I think that's what some right. of these, you know, fintech entrepreneurs are trying to solve. I mean, this, you know, almost the democratization of transactions, but it, it's still complex, right? I mean, it it must be sometimes frustrating to try to figure this out because, you know, I'm I, my my guess is intellectually, you know, it's a very stimulating thing. I mean, I love nothing more than to get a client of mine. And they say, Hey, how do we tell better stories? And I dig into what they do similar to what you do. Like, how do I, you know, how do I parse this out? And the intellectual exercise is just fascinating to me. So it, it, is it, do do you see like in your work with this FinTech stuff? I mean, are there starting to get momentum around thought leadership and certain people that are actually explaining this well, and actually like, you know, who either your clients or people that, you know, because my guess is that's when, once people start explaining it, you know, to their grandmother and they can understand it, that's when it tips, you know, for the tipping point. Right.
2: No, that's, that's, that's certainly true for anything where uh, mass adoption is, part of the equation you know in in a business to consumer world uh where you know mass adoption makes sense you know it's i was thinking a little bit too about this parallel to um another scenario where the use case didn't really exist until the technology started to create it and that, that would be around social networking so you know there, there were a bunch of fault, false starts in the social networking world there was you know i'll all these things that people kind of laugh about, if you know, at least if you're of a certain age and generation, you you, <laughs> yeah, you laugh about and your, yeah, your, your yep. AOL and
1: Compuserve, your AOL
2: and Compuserve, and then you then you laugh about you know like your MySpace page
1: and your, which like your still has profile like, and, and which all these still, things. Yeah, it's MySpace still has millions of hits a month. <laughs> it's I yeah, mean I don't, I don't I don't understand that one at all. <laughs> but. <laughs> well, but you know, what, but you're right. Like, oh, this is really good. Yeah, no, you're interesting. Yeah. Yes yeah, so it took media. a while
2: for the for the use cases around it to to gel and then become commercialized and monetized. And you know that's that's a whole other um, minefield of uh, tricky issues to talk about. But the point being is that you know that, that may ultimately be where we are right now in in the world of crypto is you know we're we're still in the world of you know like the AOLs or maybe the MySpaces and you know, maybe
1: Coinbase is the MySpace of, of crypto. I don't know. <laughs> it's a good way to put it though. Cause I mean, I think, you know, your whole point about commercialize, commercialize and monetize is the same with like search as an example. I think that's another yeah. technology where, you know, a Google search I mean, that kind of never existed until the technology was there. Although the process of searching for things, you know, back in the day, you'd have the card catalog at the library, thumb through it, you'd have, you know, whatever books or whatever, but never before had all this information been kind of put together and indexable and searchable. I mean, and there were, you know, old time private databases like LexisNexis and all that sort of stuff that costs a tremendous amount of money right. to, to, right. you know, to, to access. So I think the interesting thing with that is that, yeah, th- there was sort of the use case for it. Although no one figured out, my guess is no one really thought, well, yeah, everyone on the planet would want to search something in Google. Um, and, and I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that type of approach to thought leadership? Cause you know, there's a huge debate now, um, I think there, I don't remember who did it. Was it Ernest and Young? They did a, they just did a study about ads and they kind of like figured out, they were, they're trying to figure out where all the ad money goes. Right. And it was like, I think over half the ad money doesn't go to the actual ad or provider. It goes to all these third parties and it was this, it's actually a really complicated mess. And it's even worse than that because some of it, like I think 15% of it, they're like, we have no idea where this goes. And I know yeah. a lot of people's strategy for getting on top of mind is through SEO, right? You know, search engine optimization. Yep. And so I'm curious, how do you how does that fit into all this? And is it just like another, is it just like another ad? kind of i want i don't want to say hoax because i'm i'm not a fan of ads just full stop but talk me through a little bit about that because i my guess is there's a strategy behind okay now we've got everyone aligned you're going to be a thought leader now how do we get the word out
2: yeah you know that's the the role of seo and thought leadership is uh certainly a, a complex issue um I want to be clear that you know because of the types of companies that I work with, and you know, it's, it's fintech, and I'm, I'm very much within the context of institutional fintech. So you know, it, it's banks that are offering uh, services and products to other banks, or fintechs that are offering services to other banks or investment managers. And I point that out because this is a this is a world and somewhat unique to this world, although there's lots of others as parallel. Where if you're a fintech and, and you can reach, let's say, the like there's there's going to be a thousand, maybe even fewer decision makers that actually matter to your business, right? It's, he- it's heads of hedge funds and bank CEOs and you know other C-level folks with, within top banks. Those are the people that are going to transform your business. And getting your thought leadership uh, to those people who, by the way, probably aren't spending a lot of time poking around doing Google searches to find the solution for what's going to run their hedge funds or what's going to enable them to process trillions of dollars of payments more easily. No one's buying that through Google, I'll tell you that. And yeah, no, you're true.
1: Totally.
2: It it really means that, you know, thought leadership, we talked a lot about the, the what and the why, didn't really get so much into the who. And what I like about the question of SEO is that that really is a question of, well, not only just having that story out there, like you've printed it on a bunch of cards and you're, you know, you're throwing it off the deck of the Empire State Building so everyone in New York can see it. Um, but really a very, a very hyper-targeted approach to getting that thought leadership into the hands of the people who you know, ultimately you are trying to lead with your thinking. And when you look at it in those terms, when, when you're not looking for mass appeal, because people aren't buying a widget but it's you know, major companies making very high stakes decisions that can ultimately impact whether or not they're able to um, function as a business. Google's kind of a tr- you know it's, it's a tricky phenomenon because it's it, it's unlikely that those decision makers are using that tool to inform their decisions. Yeah. So you really need a very different strategy for getting your your content into those hands. And and, and sometimes what happens too is people try to focus on solving the SEO, you know, the the optimization piece of the puzzle, and they end up cheapening or damaging their content. You know, I've I've seen companies do this where they get into this mode of chasing keywords and chasing their Google metrics. Oh my God, we have to fix our domain ranking. We have to do this and we have to do that. And they really, really lose sight of of the 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 actual situation that they're trying to address, which is to you know to to lead the market in a certain direction and to attract you know high stakes decision makers.
1: Yeah, I think it's all about. I mean, great point. I think it's all about who you're trying to who you know who you're trying to get at. And I'm glad you brought up that you know it really is contextual. I mean, you know, if you're going for mass broad appeal then maybe an SEO strategy works. But I like, mm-hmm. I like how you brought up cheapening the message. I never thought about it that way. I never thought about how mass appeal could cheapen and or reduce your credibility, so to speak. I mean, I, I don't know kind of how that would work in this context, but I find it interesting that like in fintech decision makers that you work with, right? The kind of B2B kind of, Folks, there's maybe a thousand people in the world (laughs) that could make a decision for your company. Yeah. You need to go find out where they are, target them. And I think it's almost making it a little bit more like premium or cachet. I don't know. I sometimes sometimes get or have friends that kind of show me these newsletters, these financial newsletters. I'm sure you've heard of them where... Like, this is how you invest in crypto or this is how you invest in the stock market. I mean, the most kind of famous broad appeal one is like the Motley Fool is an example.
2: Right, right.
1: My guess is the CEO of Goldman Sachs when it was around, or if it still is, I don't even know, <laughs> or no, JP Morgan <laughs> traced right? Right, right. Probably not reading the Motley Fool. I mean, maybe, maybe one of their, maybe they get bubbled up some brief, but yeah, like what are those what are those bank presidents? What are those CEOs of major financial institutions? Like what do they read? And if you're got to target them, then yeah, I mean, good point. Like making that a kind of a quote unquote premium offer, or at least a in the know insider kind of thing, which, yeah. which sounds, yeah. you know, elitist. Okay. I full, full, okay. I, I grant you that, but yeah, you got to find your, your audience, I guess, for your, for your yeah, you you have to find your audience, and you know you you only have so,
2: there's, there's only so much time and effort and energy and resources available to you. Uh, what what's the better benefit of, of all that time and effort? Is it um, just boosting some traffic numbers so the next time someone logs into Google Analytics, they get they get they look at some numbers, or is it putting putting those things into the hands of of the most relevant decision makers? You know, because those numbers. You don't know anything about those numbers. Those numbers, they're not decision makers. There's not buyers. You can make some inferences about them. But, you know, I i, I would rather, when I, when I post a blog post, I couldn't care less about whether it matches someone's search queries, whether it's keyword optimized. It certainly has to be readable and well-structured and logical. But if I can get that blog post into the hands of three decision makers that will remember me, and I'm a small business, so I can say three. Um, but who will remember me and do business with me six months later? Having a thousand, ten thousand, fifty thousand hits on that blog post is absolutely meaningless, yeah. and that's why it doesn't make sense to to optimize it for these search queries. Because I I really don't care what people are searching for, and and I think that's really a. A very relevant model for for my clients as well. It do, doesn't really matter who is searching for um, information about the implications of interest rate resets on you know these, these bundled securitized loans. Who, who, who cares who searches for that? <laughs> there are yeah. the people that own those loan portfolios. Those are the people you need that content in the hands of.
1: Yeah. Well, this is the same premise when it comes to PR and marketing. That I always hear from startups and entrepreneurs and clients. Oh, I want to get into the big t- tier one media. I, get, I hear this all the time. And how do I get into TechCrunch? Is usually the first question, right. right? And I'm like, well, do you really need to be in TechCrunch, or is that just a vanity metric? Because a lot of this stuff is vanity metrics, to be honest. And I'm glad you brought this up because. In terms of even social media follows, even you know organic search results, and even ads, like paying for paying for eyeballs, very nefarious, honestly, yeah. because you never know what those clicks are. I mean, they're all, in my mind, just vanity metrics, and they're actually all bad story tacks in one sense. I mean, I, I disagree to a certain degree about SEO, but I see your point, because the most important thing you can do in any communications, know your audience and go talk to them. And if that's, if that's 10 people that are going to potentially do business with you in the future, then the hundred million people that may read it insignificant. And, and I, and I really glad you brought this point up because I think for, for new entrepreneurs and just generally entrepreneurs, knowing your audience and really being specific on your audience and not just spraying and praying is the thing that really gets people down the path of wasting money on a launch, wasting money on media, frankly, wasting money on a PR firm that's not going to help you. You know, I think it's a really important thing to really understand who you want to target with any communications. Um, I mean, partly why I do this podcast honestly is I'm targeting entrepreneurs. Like people that listen to this podcast should also want to pick my book up and learn how to be a better entrepreneur. So sure, yeah, it's, it's super interesting. Like I've never thought about it that way. I like, I yeah, like, I, I like that. And, you
2: know, it's, I think sometimes I think about SEO, and it's not just the the like the individual piece of content, but you know, when when you're doing that, you're you're always in an arms race, right? Because if if yes. if, if your company becomes hyper focused on SEO, and your competitors are hyper focused on SEO, it's it's this rid- ridiculous arms race, and I. I I kind of have this thought that it's it's like the old world of the yellow pages where it was always the joke of like, you know, (laughs) which plumber do you pick? Like you start off and advantage plumbing is like, Oh, we're the first listing. And then aardvark plumbing comes along. Like, Damn it! Yeah. Now we're not the first listing yeah. anymore. Yeah. So Advantage Plumbing change, changes its name to AAA Advantage
1: Plumbing. Yeah, yeah, Plumbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Regis <laughs> Regis Armark McKenna. AAA. Yeah. This is
1: because of Regis McKenna. Does everyone know? If we look up Regis McKenna. No, I don't. I the, don't know what this is. Oh, sure he, no. This. This is it. <clears throat> so Regis McKenna is a marketing. I mean, back in the day, he he was originally like Apple. He was the original Apple guy, or a consultant, and. <laughs> his rule was be first in the phone book. <laughs> that, was his, right. that was one of his rules. So always start with an A, right? Or whatever, right?
2: But it's funny. And that's the thing, but you don't own that algorithm and yeah. you don't control it. So yeah. then when the Yellow Pages company decides that, okay, we're doing display ads now, uh-oh, yeah. what yeah. happened to your first in the phone book listing?
1: Yeah. And then or, yeah. What,
2: I, what I always think, and I was and when I, when I use this story, I always compare it. So we've talked about Aardvark and Advantage Plumbing. I I want my clients and I want my own company to be, I mean, I call it Martin Plumbing, right. Because it's in the middle of the, the, the listing and, you know, Martin Plumbing is the one that's like has all the great relationships with, you know, the with people of influence in, in the town and the people that like to talk about their home improvement projects and knows everything about the latest fixtures, fixtures and talks about them and, but Martin Plumbing is the one that gets all the business for like the major remodels and renovations and big sticky problems. And Art of Art Plumbing, yeah, my, my, there's a problem with my sink. I call you once and then I go away and that's the end
1: of it. Right, 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 right. No, you're right. I mean, I love I love the arms race analogy because it's like, I think Google in May, we're recording this in the end of April. I think in May they're going to change their search algorithm. Yep. <laughs> and I remember right. the last... And yeah, then everything goes kind of resets. I remember when this happened a while back, and it was uh Jason Kalkanis had a had a company, I think it was called uh Ohana. And it was basically like building links. It was like like they would curate links and then put it on a page right. and you know. Right. And literally Google changed the algo, and 85% of their traffic just blip, went away, gone, poof. Yeah. And you know, I mean, now he's working on, well, he invested he, he in this thing called inside, which is all these newsletters. And so he's taking it to like, oh, I want to directly connect to a customer. Therefore, I want to give them them to give me my email so I know who they are. And I think that's the ultimate, almost ultimate currency now. It's yes, you have to get discovered. And it's hard when you first started out. Granted, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. You probably have to write, run some ads or do some organic SEO, whatever. Like you got to mm-hmm. find who your customer is. But boy you're totally right. Change the algo, everything goes away. Um, you really need to really build a customer. You need to get to know the customer and be intimate with them and know who they are and service them. So,
2: yeah, no, and, I, and I'm just inherently suspicious of processes that only exist to per- to perpetuate themselves. And yeah, that's true. SEO Go is on. a really great example of good point. You know it's always an arms race. The algorithm is always changing. There's this whole ecosystem of SEO specialists. When when I'm being especially snarky, I'll say that SEO stands for screw everyone over. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm with you. And, okay. okay. And that, and that's, and that's why, you know, and, and it's not that I dismiss the value of like you know like you're saying with with ads. There there are situations where it makes sense, but that's that can't be your strategy. And and the sad thing that happens is People lose sight of it, and then it becomes their strategy. You know, and if your strategy is bottom feeding, what is it that you're going to be eating? Yeah, it's not, it's not nice. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's no, not nice.
1: true, no, no, true, true. So, uh, so, what advice would you give the next generation of entrepreneurs coming up?
2: Yeah, I, I love I love that question because you know I, I really. Uh, been around for a bit, and I see multiple generations of people coming up, and and it ties back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, building a business is hard, creating a product is hard. There's so many problems that you're always trying to solve because you know you're you're trying to get there. But the biggest piece of advice is don't lose sight of the why. In fact, keep going on that why. And keep pushing yourself. Ask why does this matter? Why does this matter? Because the more connected to that you are. The more fuel you have for your own passion, but even at a more outward-looking level, the more fuel you have for your messaging and, and the way you get yourself out into the world.
1: Wow, yeah, I agree. Have a strong why. Keep on, keep on, keeping on with that. So, Chris, yeah, keep
2: and don't let it sit. Keep, keep, keep digging. Yeah, keep digging. I, I'm still, you know, I've been at this for many, many years, and and I still keep digging down and you know what is it that i mean and what what is this when i talk about all these things about ethical content and you know the most the ecological approach to human attention and you know that's the real meaning of thought leadership right. is is having courtesy toward people's attention and their time because of all the messages that are out there in the world that's that's my latest level of depth but i you know i'm still going to keep digging down it's all you know just that why really really fuels what i do next and how i evolve my business I think that matters for a new entrepreneur as well.
1: Yeah, I agree. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, definitely going to go check out some French literature now.
2: Yeah, no, I'll, uh, I'll share a couple of uh, specifics and uh, some specific titles. You can put them in the show notes as well for other people to take a look.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks again. Stay safe.
2: Yeah, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks, Christopher, for being on the show. I learned a ton, and I'm so glad you gave us some awesome uh, books to get started on our uh, French Literature Book Club. Uh, That was really cool, so I appreciate that. Now, as promised, here are some actionable insights I learned from my interview with Christopher. Your why is your fuel. Keep asking yourself why, even after several years. This will help drive you and keep you motivated and passionate. Chris does this for himself as well as for his clients. SEO and ads can be a solid starting point, but eventually you're going to want to focus on who you are reaching, not how many people you are reaching. And everyone that listens to this show knows my somewhat disdain for digital (laughs) ads and the spray and pray method. So... Know your audience and talk directly to them. Don't be afraid to learn new things, even when they are far afield from what you've studied in school or did in a past career. Learning is an important part of seeing the gaps in your own thinking, and I can't stress this enough. Make sure that you're always trying to learn something new and keep your mind sharp and try to figure out where the uh, crossover is for different things that may seem completely independent from each other. Well, there you go. That's what I learned from Christopher. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.